0: Praise the Lord, everyone. I thought the uh, worst thing I was going to have to deal with tonight was trying to stay on one foot all night, but I got to fight my voice too. Woke up to hardly being able to talk, so if y'all will um, be patient with me, we will get through this this evening. I want to go ahead and go immediately to the Word of God. We're going to start in Genesis. Chapter 2, we're going to read verses 8 and 9, and verses 16 and 17. And it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for this evening, Lord. We ask you right now, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you have for us, Lord. Lord, I ask you right now, take away anything that's of me, Lord, and fill me with you completely, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done this evening, Lord, that your word would go forth, touch the hearts of the people that are here this evening, that they would have something to go home with this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, tonight... I want to discuss just for a few moments. Again, I promise I won't keep you all long, But just for a few moments, I want to discuss the ultimate choice. The ultimate choice. You see, in this garden, God put plenty of trees. But he speaks of two in particular trees. He doesn't talk about other trees. He doesn't talk about the elm tree the great mighty oak tree, he doesn't talk about the apple tree or even the cashew tree. He talks about two specific trees, a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, two separate trees. And we see after chapter 3 of Genesis, the tree of life is not spoken about again until Revelation. It's mentioned in chapter 3, and we'll get there here in just a second. But I want to talk about the ultimate choice, basically our approach to God. How do we approach God? Do we approach him from a knowledge-based or do we approach him from a relationship-based? You see, we can have knowledge of God. We can have knowledge of right and wrong. We can have knowledge of being a Christian or being rebellious. We can even... Look at it from the do's and don't. I can't do this. I can't do this. So I want to look beyond that. I want to look into the basic principle, beyond the basic principle of right and wrong, and into a relationship with God that matures through time, through love and understanding, that engages God into a nurturing and an intimate connection that is both challenging and definitely rewarding. So we see here in our scripture text that God placed man in this perfect garden. Talked about him planting trees that were pleasant, pleasing to the eye, that was good for food. Now, again, I don't know how many trees were in that garden, but I do know about the two particular. We go back to verse 9, and it says, Out of the ground the Lord God... To grow made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for tree uh, food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So let's explore these two trees for just a few moments tonight and how we can apply the basic principles of those two trees to our life and how we approach and live for God. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil it's an approach out of duty. as I said earlier, The do's and the don'ts, the rights, the wrongs. I can't, I can't. Am I going to be a good Christian or am I going to be rebellious? It's kind of like our children. You know, I've I've been guilty. I've told my my girls, I said, uh, God don't like ugly. You know, when they're being bad or something, God don't like ugly. And I've learned through the process of my life That it's not about the right and wrong. It's about the relationship aspect of of our relationship, our approach to God. In Exodus 14, we read about the Red Sea and about how God parted the Red Seas. You see, the the children of Israel had just gotten delivered from the bondage they were in. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses led them out into the wilderness And they got to a point where they started seeing Pharaoh and his armies chasing after them. And they complained to Moses, and they said, Moses, you just brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And then God did something miraculous. Actually, he did several things miraculous. He told Moses, he said, Moses, lift up your staff over the water. And he parted the waters. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Now think about that for just a moment. It's the little things that we don't think about. When they were crossing the Jordan or the Red Sea, excuse me, it wasn't muddy. They wasn't getting their sandals stuck in the mud. They walked across on dry ground. It was amazing. It was the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And then as they crossed over, and the Egyptians got towards the middle of of the Red Sea, God had their waters come down upon the Egyptians, killing every one of them. The people that enslaved them, the people that done them wrong, the people that whipped them and beat them, God just made them vanish. Killed them. No longer were they enslaved. They were free now. Think about how you would feel knowing no longer do I have to face this problem. No longer do I have to be in bondage. By these Egyptians I don't have to be a slave any longer again it was a beautiful beautiful beginning of a relationship between God and his people so we know here God cares about the small things just as much as the big things and we think that they would be happy and they were They rejoiced. They sang. They danced before God. They praised him. But it wasn't three days later. Here they go murmuring against Moses once again, Brother Lee, complaining to him, We have no water. We have no water. We can't drink water. They led to the water. They found water. It was bitter. They found more water that was sweet. God once again once again, God came through for the Egyptians, showing his love, his compassion, his thoughtfulness towards them. And then we read on down, and we talk it talks about the Ten Commandments and about how God, excuse me, Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. God delivered them, wrote them in the stone. And that began the journey in the Old Testament of serving God out of duty. Now they had a law to follow. Now they had to follow this law. But what was interesting, what I find interesting is Moses, he had a relationship with God. He went, he communicated with God on behalf of the people. And you can see his relationship with God and with the people of Israel. Because when they come down from the mountain and they, the children of Israel had all of a sudden taken all this jewelry, melted it down, and formed this golden calf, and they began to worship this idol, God was furious. God was mad. And Moses put himself between the children of Israel and God and God spared the children of Israel. And we see time and again in the Old Testament where Moses and his relationship with God helped the children of Israel in their journey. Then we come to the New Testament. And we see this group of people called the Pharisees. They understood the law. They knew the law. They studied the law day and night. They knew everything that was supposed to be done. They dotted every I, brotherly. They crossed every T. They knew the law backward and forward. And seven times, seven times in the life of Jesus, he performed a miracle on the Sabbath. Seven times, he performed miracles on the Sabbath. And one of those we see in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says, and he entered again into the synagogue and there was there a man which had a withered hand and they watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil to save a life or to kill a life? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him. How they might destroy him. God, once again, showing his love, showing his compassion on the people, performing a miracle in front of everyone. Now, I would love for God to perform a miracle right here, right now, tonight. I would love to see this leg grow back out. That would be awesome. And I wouldn't have one complaint about it, whether it was a Sabbath day or not. Because I'm serving God out of relationship, not out of the tree of life, of, excuse me, not out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Pharisees, they got so caught up in the letter of the law that they couldn't see the miracle. They couldn't see the Son of God standing right in front of them. They followed the law out of obligation while they neglected the way to your matters forgiveness love peace faithfulness but you know we do the same things today we're we're not innocent I know I'm not we fail to explain to our children to others why we are serving God I remember back in, I guess it was high school, I have um, twin cousins, Amy and Beth, and they were, that's my friend, my brother, Dave, faithful Baptist, and we would get into discussion and debates about the Word of God, and I would pull the Word of God out, and I have this, this four or five sheets of paper that my youth pastor gave me that told me all the reasons why we did the things that we did. Tiffany had told them why the men kept clean-shaven. It said why the men wore certain outfits, why the women wore dresses. I had it all right there in the Scriptures, and we would go back and forth time and time again. We had the same lunch hour, and we would just debate the Word of God. And as I look back on that, I failed to be the example that God needed me to be. Because I was serving God out of a duty. Because I was told this is what we're supposed to do. I had never formed a relationship with God. I hadn't decided, hey, there's more to this than the do's and the don'ts. There's more to this than the rights and the wrongs. So, I was serving God because I had been to church and taught by my parents. This is what we do. And unfortunately, sad to report, because of that teaching, neither one of my parents, my siblings, are in church today. Because they, too, failed to establish a relationship with God. A personal relationship. So let's talk about the tree of life. Let's talk about the relationship and how we approach God out of a relationship. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people, they are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that there shall be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten thy law of God, the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. You see, the knowledge here that is being talked about is the knowledge of a loving God, of a compassionate God, of a God that wants us to love him, wants a relationship with us. We can go back to De- Deuteronomy 6.5 and Or did I give you 6 1 through 5? Yeah, 6 1 through 5. So, um, can you pull back up verse 1? I apologize. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you may do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. He's establishing a relationship. He's showing his love to them. And the verse that most of all of us know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, not just part, but all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thine might. When we begin to love God with our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, it draws us to God in a very intimate and personal way. When we begin to realize that we're the example of who Jesus was, his time here on earth, we begin to understand people in a different way. We begin to see people as souls that's facing an eternity, that has a choice of a lifetime. We see that Moses in Exodus 33, 13 through 15. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. He wanted to know God that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, Moses said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence, Moses wasn't saying, or excuse me, Moses was saying, if you're not going to go up there with us, don't take us. Because without you, we're nothing. Without this relationship, it means nothing where we're going. Whether it be the promised land or not, without that relationship, Moses was saying, I don't care about the promised land. I don't care about the milk, the honey, the land. It was God and that relationship, that presence that was going with him. He couldn't go without the presence of the Lord. Brother Lee, I was talking to your son earlier this week. I uh, go with him on Tuesdays to a training that he does. And I was telling him about this message and about a relationship with God. And he said, I got a question for you. Now, he was just posing this question to give me something to think about. But he said, how do you explain to people to have a relationship with an invisible God? You don't see God. He's not tangible where I can walk up to him. Hey, it's good to see you. How do you explain having a relationship with somebody? You see... I have a relationship with my wife. I love her. We, we spend time together. We do things together. But she's tangible. I can touch her. On the third Thursday, we have men's coffee and donuts. And Brother Tony's over it. And I'm able to go up there, and I'm able to touch him, and I can have a conversation with him. And I can talk to him. He's right there. I can see him. But how do you have a relationship with a, with a God that you can't see. And I thought about it. And I'd like to think that Moses kind of thought the same thing. Because he asked God to see his glory. And God knew that no man could look at him and live. But once again, his love for his people. And his compassion for his people. He created an opportunity For Moses to see his glory. He hid him in a cliff of a rock, a cleft of a rock, excuse me. And he covered his hand, his with his hand he covered Moses as he passed in front of him. But he took his hand away so Moses could see the, the back parts, the hind parts, the things that God had already done. How he created the world, how he spoke life into existence. How he spoke to the waters, to the sun, to the moon. How he created day and night. He allowed Moses to see that. He seen the things that God had done up to that point. That's how I think we can create a relationship with a God that we can't see. By evidence of what he has done what he has done for us, what he has done for the people that we love, our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we create a relationship with the God that we can't see. In Exodus 34, verse 29, it talks about Moses. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in Moses' hand, When he came down from the mount, that Moses with not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. His face was bright. It was shining. It shone with glory. You see, he had that intimate, intimate relationship with God. That that electricity, that spark. That creates that intimate relationship. And you know what the neat thing about that is? Is when Christ died on the cross. He made a way for you and I to go up the mountain. And I'm worried that I've gotten caught up in life. That I've gotten busy in life. That I've gotten busy in ministry doing this and and doing that, that sometimes I forget to climb that mountain. Sometimes I forget that close, intimate relationship with God that when I come down from that mountain, people around me will notice and see God flowing from me. It's not about me. It's about God flowing to other people. It's that relationship And I ask once again how do we show a picture of a god that we can't see? Well, we look to Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 35. And this is the story of the good Samaritan. And he answered saying, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor" And your neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, Said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, of his clothes, and wounded him. And they left him, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he stayed on the other side. He passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he cautiously came over and he looked at him. And passed by on the other side but a certain samaritan now we have to understand what a samaritan is a samaritan wasn't really that well liked he was half jewish and half not jewish but they wasn't well liked but as he journeyed he came to where he was and he saw him and he had compassion on him and he went to him he bound up his wounds pouring oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Not only did he take care of him, but on the morrow he departed, he looked at the owner, he took out two pence, he gave it to the owner, he said unto him, take care of this man. And whatever thou spendest more than what I've given you, when I come again, I will repay you. You see, that is a picture of an invisible God. He showed the love of the father. He showed the love of Christ. And as I said before. Sometimes I worry. I get caught up in the work of the ministry. I, I get. Put on cruise control so to speak. Perfect example. Sister Brandy came up to me. Sister Brandy Hood. Came up to me as I was sitting here this evening. And she asked me. Hey, I need to get in the, the closet, and I forgot the code. And I knew immediately what she was talking about. We have guests here this evening. We have first-time guests. And I asked all of a sudden about them. I said, well, do you know where they're, where they're from? Do you know their names? And she began to tell me about Mr. Stephen and Ms. Mona and about how they came during children's revival. Because they had been passing by time and time again. And they saw some cars and they pulled in. And they came back again this evening. And I really wish Brother Robbins was here and you could hear him minister and preach. He does a phenomenal job. And I invite y'all back. But I had gotten so caught up in who are our new guests? I've got to be here. I've got to be here in time. I've got to get behind that counter. And I forgot about the relationship with God. It was my duty. It's my honor, but it can easily become our duty to, uh, Sister Sheila, get up here and play on the piano, keyboard, Sister treat! It can become easy to get up here and, and to sing. It can become a habit, and we forget about the relationship aspect of it. Brother Bobby, it can be easy to get caught up because you're at the jail multiple times a week. And it can be easy to get caught up in that and forget about that relationship with God. We get so caught up in doing the ministry of God, we forget to get ministered to ourselves. And so, I want to challenge us to look and see what what is our relationship? What is our approach? We have a choice and it's a choice of a lifetime because it's not the choice of this lifetime but it's the choice of the next lifetime as well. How we're going to spend eternity with God. And I say that because there's a set of verses that when I read them they grip me. They, They just they make me ponder. And it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. And he's, he's talking to people. And he says, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me on that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name we've cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And Jesus says, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We we have a choice. We can do the will of God out of duty. We can do the will of God. We can do what he's called us to do and be doing it for the wrong reasons. God has stirred my soul these past few weeks on this message because... I always say every message preached is first preached to the preacher and then to the congregation. This has stirred me. What is my approach to God? Am I serving God out of duty? Or am I serving God out of His love for me? Am I serving God because Of the hind parts, the things that I've seen, the examples, the miracles, the things that He's done for me in my life. You see, people may look at me and say, Man, you only got one leg. I'm sorry. I still got one leg. There's many people in a wheelchair. God has done a lot to bless me. This leg was going. In the same path, this other leg was going. Some of y'all have seen pictures, and others have it. But this leg was end up with sores, and there was a time where I thought I was going to lose it as well. But I'm happy to say, there's not one bandage on this leg tonight. God's good to me. Amen. He's been good to me, brotherly. I had gotten away from God. I had started living life for myself. And I found my way to Tupelo. Tupelo wasn't in my plans. I wasn't, only thing I knew about Tupelo was when I was a kid. We had these little booklets that you stuck quarters in, kind of like for Mother's Memorial as well. And we would send those to the Tupelo Children's Mansion. So when I was offered a job out here years ago, I said, sure, I'll go. Didn't know a soul, didn't know anybody here. I was young and dumb. And I moved here thinking this was gonna be the opportunity for me to change my life. I was going to turn my life around. Nobody knew me. Nobody knew my past. Nobody knew my story. I was going to change my life around the day I moved here and start living for God once again. I've been raised in church. Sister Erickson, just like Maddie, I can quote in verses back to back to back to back. I knew the Word of God, but I knew it out of duty I knew it not to hide the word in my heart but I knew it to win a trophy and when I moved out here unfortunately I got mixed up with the wrong crowd and to be honest with you brother Lee I probably should be serving life in prison Or in a grave six feet under somewhere. But in his love and compassion for me, he led me to a church over off of Clayton Street. And I met some people there. And unfortunately, the word of God didn't stick with me. Because, again, I was doing it out of duty. Duty. This is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be a Christian. If I want to make heaven my home, then I gotta do what the Bible says to do. If I want to make heaven my home, then I've gotta to go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and every day in between that they had the doors open. And so it didn't stick with me. But there was a few people over the years that did stick with me. That saw hope in me. That saw. Potential. And one of those people introduced me to Brother Robbins. And I would come in and I'd try to get here before Brother and Sister Sellers so I could sit on that back row. (laughs) And I would try to beat them on that back row. And as soon as Brother Robbins or whoever was preaching gave the altar call, out that door I went. I knew that If he had the opportunity to talk to me, it was over. And for 10 years, I avoided Brother Robbins. But for 10 years, when I needed Brother Robbins, he was only a phone call away. You see, his ministry was out of a relationship with God. He showed who Jesus was. In my darkest days, Brother Bobby, be a little transparent. I had to have my mom committed. And in in those darkest days, that day that I actually had to, to go through with it and take her to the hospital and sign the papers, I didn't know what to do. But I had a phone number of a man that I knew I could call. And I called him. He didn't have to answer my call. I wasn't his saint. I didn't come here to church on a regular basis. But because of his relationship with God, he talked me through it. In other dark days of my life, until finally, one day, I was determined that I was going to come to church And at that time, plant my feet in this church. I had just been to Texas to visit my brother. Savannah, as many of you know, had a terrible four-wheeler accident. And my brother's nephew come carrying her in his arms to the house. We rushed her to the hospital. And, of course, in our desperate times, what do we do? God, if you'll just do this, I'll serve you. God, if you just get me out of this mess, I'll serve you. And as we rushed her to the hospital, and she was in that ER room, and they were talking about broken pelvis, possible ruptured kidneys, bleeding on the inside, a father's worst nightmare was before him and in that room I got down on my knees in front of my daughter in front of God in front of the nurses and I told God if you'll just save her I'll do what you call me to do now many of you that know me know public speaking is not my forte but I told God that day I said if you'll just save her I'll do your will And he did. And I got my feet planted in this church. And as I started my walk with God over again, I started out of duty once again. I didn't know what the relationship looked like. And they don't know that I was going to talk about them tonight. But being a single dad raising a teenage girl isn't the easiest thing in the world. But she loved her youth group. She loved her youth pastors. And I watched as brother and sister, Lori Ann Dillon and Arthur Dillon, worked with her. And I watched them as they they lived life from a distance. As they raised up Olivia. And I noticed there was something different about it. It wasn't a duty. It was a relationship. When I would talk to author about, you know, Savannah's 14 years old. I can't just make her start being Pentecostal. I can't make her quit cutting her hair and not wear makeup and wear skirts all the time. And, and I would talk to author, and he would he would. Tell me it's a relationship. What pleases God? It's not because we have to do it. But what place is God? What's holy to God? What's joyful to God? What's peaceful to God? And I'm fixing to close here. One more story about Savannah. I don't know if I'm missing her or what, because none of this was planned. But I remember in high school, her high school year, she had gotten in a fight. Not just any fight. She got in a pretty bad fight. Um, she got a tail whooped. But <laughs> worse than that, her and the other girl ended up at the police department. It was pretty bad. And I had, uh, it was the beginning of my wound care journey and I had just got to the hospital to go into wound care I mean literally pulled up in the parking lot had put it in park my phone rang what's high school calling me for and they called Savannah has been in a fight I'm like, oh lord it's not her nature and I said okay I said uh, is she okay yeah she's okay what about the other person Oh, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> okay. They said, but um, I said, well, I'll be right up there to the school. And they said, no. I said, you got to pick her up at the police department. Madness flew over me. What is this sweet daughter of mine that knows better doing getting in a fight at school? And much less so severe that I've got to go to the police station to pick her up. And called Brother Robbins. He was unfortunately on another call. Called both Gloria Ann and Arthur, and I don't remember which one I talked to, but they talked me to until I got to the police station. And by the time I got to the police station, I was calmed down, and I was looking at it as a loving father would. She doesn't need me to come in there all huffed up, mad, upset, because she's probably embarrassed. She's done got a tail whipped. She's at the police department. She's probably a little embarrassed by this time. And the last thing that she needed me to do was be that dad that came in there stern, but that's how I was. That's the person I was at that time. And they talked me in convinced me that she needed loving right now. She needed a dad that would wrap his arms around her. And so I picked her up. It was a pretty quiet ride back to the house. We got back to the house. She got out. She was bloody. Shirt was tore. Um, pretty bad. Pretty mess. And we got inside and she turned around waiting for what she thought that her dad was going to do because that's what he'd done in the past and I just walked up to her and wrapped my arms around her told her I loved her told her I'm glad she was okay told her I was disappointed but I'm glad that she's okay and I turned around and walked into the living room and sat down and she came in there this puzzled look on her eye, in her eyes you okay? Yes, sweetie, why? Um, Because this isn't what I was expecting. You see, I think sometimes when we sin, we look at God that way. We're expecting God to look at us with this big fly swatter and swat us for doing wrong. Because that's living life through the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But sometimes I think that we view God that way. But if we'll view God as a God that's compassionate, that corrects us when we do wrong. You see, there's a difference, and you've heard it before, between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation tells you you're bad you've done wrong, you're do no, no good, you'll never amount to anything. That's the devil. Conviction will say, I love you, but there's some things that we got to correct. Let's work on it together. Let's go hand in hand on this journey because like most of us in here that have children, nieces, nephews, we have love and we have compassion for him. That's the same. Actually, it's not. God has so much more compassion, so much more love for us than we can imagine. So I challenge you with the choice of a lifetime. What is your approach to God? Are you going to approach him out of duty or out of relationship? We have that choice. And again, it's a choice of a lifetime. I challenge you tonight. If you don't mind. Spend a few moments in this altar. And I invite everyone up. To evaluate. Or reevaluate. Your relationship with God. Are you serving him. Out of a duty. Or. Or. Is it a relationship that you have with Him, that you love Him so much you want to please Him? Brother Lee,